Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. It's hard to pick out one single trend in security that could dominate in 2022. No doubt we'll continue to see new threats and new threat actors, as well as, hopefully, some new security solutions. One technology, though, that will certainly affect security and the attack surface is the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things has been growing steadily over the last decade and there is no sign that that will slow. And the proliferation of devices, both in business and for consumers, is creating its own class of vulnerabilities and risks. But could 2022 be the year that we finally get to grips with IoT security? New regulations and legislation, and a more mature approach both among vendors and in the end-user community, are starting to make an impact. At least, that's the hope of our guest this week, John Moore. John is the Managing Director of the IoT Security Forum, and we started by asking him where the Internet of Things is right now. Yeah, well, I, I think... First and foremost, what does IoT mean? Um, it's one of those terms that you either love or hate. I, I confess I don't particularly like it, but it's something we come to accept because it's something that people understand. You know, whether you consider, um, as I do, um, IoT being the next wave of the internet, more and more things being connected, um, or as somebody once, somebody much smarter than me once said to me conceptually, IoT is an independent, interdependent system of systems with no guiding mind. And I think that that is a very good description, in my view, to really illustrate why security, what I now consider to be a wicked challenge, um, fits in. And I call it a wicked challenge because over the past seven years since I've been looking at this, it's very clear to me that I don't think we'll ever completely fix it but we can certainly address it and we can manage it. So where are we now? I'll tell you where where we were when I started looking at it seven years ago with fresh eyes. The the word that I used to describe it was egregious. And what I mean by that is that if I look at IoT as, um, again, a next wave of technology. So if I go back to the PC era, uh, the PC era, um, we used to have standalone computers, which then we started connecting them up, and the security was pretty terrible, actually, incredibly bad. Um, but we've kind of evolved, it's matured, and it's uh, it's still not completely perfect, uh, but it's a lot better than what it was. Uh, we then went into the mobile era, uh, mobile devices, phones, etc., tablets. Uh, the security was a great deal better, but still not perfect. And then we went into the era of IoT. And I think with IoT, everything became as bad again as it was from the first times we started connecting up uh, PCs. So that's where I came in. Uh, Egregious, I'm pleased to announce we've made, I think, significant progress since then. Um, But we're still at a a stage of maturity, which is variable. Um, IoT covers a lot of things, pretty much every industrial sector I can think of, IoT has some relevance. And if you go into, if you go across those sectors, the status of security is variable, but also within those sectors, the degree of variability 
of security is variable too. So it's a, it's a situation which definitely needs attention and it should receive governments, industry, academics, institution interest. Uh, it's improving, um, but we'd certainly like to see it uh, improving a, a lot faster um, because of the uh, some of the impacts that insecurity brings with it. How deeply embedded is the Internet of Things, though, in sort of everyday life, in industry? Is this a technology that is ubiquitous and therefore potentially a security problem that is ubiquitous as well? I think so. Um, pervasive is, is another word that I would use. Um, certainly that word, I've been in technology now for nearly 40 years, and it's one of those things that we, we kind of hankered after, the pervasiveness of you know, electronic systems. But for me, it's it's now got to the point after being on the innovation side for 30 plus years to now look at security, to, to start saying, well, perhaps we need to proceed a little bit more cautiously. But absolutely, it, it's all pervasive. I think, you know, everybody, we've been hit by the pandemic that's forced us, everybody to go home and to stay connected. We brought these technologies into our homes and connected them up, which means our enterprises and our companies are interconnected too. Uh, there's an increasing amount of connectivity across all sectors. Lots of talk about uh, connected and autonomous cars. So that's in transportation and vehicles, uh, certainly in energy. Uh, we talk about smart cities. We talk about uh, Industry 4.0. And of course, we, we've just been talking about connected devices. And I think you know some of those devices, those new devices, tend to be things like uh, you know smart speakers as well as you know, connected TVs, etc. So uh, absolutely, it's pervasive. And what this translates into, into security speak, if you uh, don't mind me saying, is this represents what we would describe as a growing and expanding attack surface, because every one of those devices, every thing that you attach to a network can potentially be uh, an attack point for uh, the nefarious. And that's quite a sizable problem because everything is connected. It's not you just get into that thing, but if you can get into that thing and then you can get onto a network, you can then move laterally and then start looking at um, what, whatever your objective is, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to, to you know, execute some sort of um, malicious act, which the system wasn't designed to do, or certainly the people who are using or own the system would not like others to do. So that's what it really represents, pervasiveness, that sounds good. We can do lots more things. Um, but in actual fact, it's a growing attack surface. So to one of those greatest benefits of the Internet of Things, which is its connectivity, is also potentially its weakness when it comes to security. Absolutely. I, I think that there's another trend. Uh, the two trends that I tend to uh, pull out in terms of the technology is the first is the connectivity, so the expanding attack surface. But then you look at the sorts of things that go onto the network. And most of those products are defined by software and software is eminently hackable. So it's not a good combination. You know, you've got a growing attack surface and you've got something that can be um, hacked uh, very, very easily. What are the main security challenges that this raises though around the Internet of Things and particularly the sort of downstream risks that come from it? So, you know, the um, the example that gets used quite often, perhaps too often, is you know, the Internet connected security cameras that a business puts in because they're thinking, yes, great, we're improving our security because we've got better surveillance of our facilities, not realising that that same piece of equipment 
bought with security in mind on the physical side is punching a hole through their digital security. And you know we've seen some some quite embarrassed uh, organisations having to uh, to remove this type of equipment and people rushing around to try to update and patch it. But again, it's the downstream problems, isn't it? It's the fact that the remote control facility of that camera or the remote viewing of that camera wasn't in itself secure that then exposed the other systems, as you talked about, potentially to move laterally across networks. Um, is that the biggest challenge or the primary challenge as you see it? I confess that this, uh, considering this, this problem has taken me to places that I hadn't really considered when I first looked at IoT security, thinking largely about the technical aspects of how do you go about securing individual devices, all the way up to threats to our democracy. I mean, that, that may sound um, uh, hyperbole, but it really does represent quite a meaty problem. And the reason why I say that is governments are interested in this and they're interested in it for, for very real reasons. And you may ask yourself, well, how does a connected camera uh, turn into be a government problem? Well, let me try and illustrate, I guess, um, somehow. Uh, first and foremost, when I started thinking about security as opposed to innovation, I, I really had to reset my frame of reference um, so my frame of reference at the time was all about uh, innovation. It was all about the, the great use of technology. But then I have come across these, these things, which I now call the epiphany of the obvious. Uh, the epiphany of the obvious, meaning that I hadn't thought about things from a different angle, but when you think about them from a different angle, they're, they're somewhat obvious. And so my first one would be that all technology is dual purpose. So it's obvious now I've said it. And what that means is, depending on, on in whose hands it is, you know, does it represent a, th a threat or a benefit? So if you can find some way to get into these systems, what is it that you're trying to do uh, as, as a bad actor? Um, are you trying to you know, steal somebody's credentials? Are you trying to commit fraud or espionage? Or are you trying to de destabilize you know, a, a kind of, a, you know, a voting system, for example, or, or you're trying to turn somebody's lights off or, or impact their, um, you know, their energy systems. The effects of these things and getting it wrong is really quite profound. But what I would say is that what you also start from is thinking that if you haven't thought about security, you, you move very quickly from thinking about something that needs to be perfect to say, well, actually, it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, one of the things we did early on with the IoT Security Foundation was we, we held a summit and we held this at Bletchley Park. And there was a really impactful talk by the CTO of Arm, um, who's a quite a big technology company. And one of the things he said straight off the bat was, um, the ugly truth is you will get hacked. And at the time, for me, that was quite a revelation because... I would describe myself as an, uh, an expired embedded systems engineer. When I think about security, you tend to think that it has to be perfect. It has to be impenetrable. But when somebody tells you that you will get hacked, you start thinking about the problem quite differently. What you do, you think about how you put all sorts of protections in uh, for your system, for whatever it is, as best you can. But then you say, well, okay, now I accept I'm going to get hacked. So if I get hacked, what do I do? How do I get back? How do I minimize the damage? And so you start applying all sorts of tactics and, and, and strategies because security is a movable feast. What is secure today may not be secure tomorrow. And I think that's something that the, the whole world is waking up to. 
What I would also say is that I would also mention safety here because I think that's quite an important part of the discussion too. Quite often, safety and security get mixed up, get conflated. So I remember one of the early conversations I had with an engineer who said to me, you know, John, safety and security are basically the same thing, right? And there was something that didn't ring true about that. I hadn't really thought about it. Again, I had to go away and do a bit of thinking, but they're not the same thing. What is similar about safety and security, sometimes they can manifest in, in similar problems, but the, the roots are quite different. So with safety, it tends to be something which is happens by accident. Uh, can be you know a number of unfortunate events which creates a safety threat. Um, but with security, there's always a human motive behind that. And that means it will continually change. And what this means in terms of businesses, if you're looking to satisfy some safety requirements, you can do that with quite a lot of certainty because safety requirements don't tend to change. They tend to be quite fixed. You tend to understand what the safety case is. But with security, it's constantly changing and it's constantly changing because you've got intelligent actors trying to defeat systems that despite your best efforts um, will probably get defeated. So you have to think about, well, if you're a business and you're selling these products, how do you keep them secure over their lifetime? There's a maintenance cost that's involved in that. And so then you start to think about, okay, well, if you're going to be a successful business selling connected products and they have lifespans, which can range, let's say, from a consumer device, which may be, well, it may be months, but typically maybe two, three, four years. That's one aspect of it. But if you're putting connected technology in, let's say, infrastructure, that may be there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And that has to be maintained. So you have to start thinking about what's the economics of that. And that's got quite profound implications. And that's been one area where the industry's been quite heavily criticised in the recent past, isn't it? Because uh, too many of these devices are hard, in some cases impossible to upgrade. You can't change the firmware. Has that risk been overplayed, do you think? Or is that still part of the challenge? Well, I do think it's part of the challenge. And again, um, something else that I'll bring into you, certainly my learning over the years is you know, context is king. So it's not as though you can have a universal solution. The security that you would put in, say, a, a cheap consumer device is quite different to the, the security case that you would be thinking about. If it was a medical device, for example, or a device that went into the energy system or, or what we would call the, you know, the critical national infrastructure, you would want to have you know, much more stronger features um, in, in those areas which could have a bigger impact. You really have to try to figure out where the, the likely threats are going to come from. And you know, for, for a lot of organisations, you have to be quite pragmatic about it. And you, you have to say, you know, is it likely that, let's say, a consumer is going to get pinpointed by a nation state? Well, it's unlikely unless you're a, a particular person who holds, let's say, I don't know, the president of the United States, then, then, then maybe. But for the average person, then not so. So what that means is that you, we should be looking to make sure you've got a very basic set of um, security requirements built in and in terms of where we were seven years ago when I started and where we are today, those sorts of basic requirements are seeing themselves translate in, into the market. And what was really very, very encouraging 
actually 2019 was it was an interesting year we we were looking um with, with a number of other organizations and working with government here in the uk about what a regulation would look like in terms of consumer iot security unfortunately since that time we've had brexit we've had the pandemic so it's been somewhat slowed um but you know i'm delighted to say that the end of 2021 that regulation has come out of the civil service process and is now gone into uh, into parliament so we are anticipating this year that we will see a regulation and and that's really important for the past three or four years now we've been looking at something called vulnerability disclosure um again it's one of those things which prior to looking at security i had no notion what vulnerability disclosure was about. But once you understand it, it becomes quite obvious the need for it. And it's this, if somebody discovers there's a security vulnerability in a product or service, they need a way of reporting that so it can be fixed. And and so what we've done is we've, um, over the last three or four years, is we've looked at companies who make consumer IoT products and said, do they have a mechanism for reporting vulnerabilities? because that will give you us an indication of where industry is at. So if the numbers are low, then clearly industry won't be valuing security. If they're high, where we would like them to be, then there's less to worry about because they'll have mechanisms to fix vulnerabilities. And what we found somewhat shocking is that in the consumer space, the numbers of companies that have vulnerability disclosure processes is very low. In fact, it's something like uh, one in five. So 20%. And that's the latest report. The first report we did was more like one in 10. So it's a situation that's slowly improving, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be. However, um, because this is now the subject of regulation, we expect those numbers to improve quite dramatically. And that's significant for the consumer. And not just the consumer, um, for anything that uh, devices get attached to, any network that gets it, uh, you know, these devices attached to. Because what it will do, it will eliminate a large number of the most significant and uh, obvious threats. Actually, is that going to be covered in the Product Security and Telecommunications Infrastructure Bill? Is that the legislation we're talking about or, or one of the pieces of legislation? We were aware of the uh, the product security. Uh, the, it, they're interesting bedfellows. They're not natural bedfellows. Um, there, there seem to be two parts to that bill. But the bit that we, as the IT Security Foundation, would be interested in is the product uh, security aspect. Um, from what I can, I remember about the telecoms infrastructure bill, that was all to do uh, with land rights and, and, and you know, for telecoms operators, I think, which, you know, it's not clear to me and nobody I've spoken to, by the way, in, in IoT security. We're scratching our heads into why they got lumped together. I'm, I'm sure they're very practical reasons, but, but we can't, but they're not obvious. Yeah, maybe one of legislative timetabling, which is uh, is always an issue for for governments. But at least it's being tackled, and that's at um, that's at Parliament at the moment. So hopefully that will come into force at some point in the the next year or so. Um, do you have a timescale for when that's likely to be introduced, or when there'll actually be uh, practical regulations following from the bill? I, I think um, we are anticipating it this year, but as I say, you know, we've been anticipating this now for the last two or three years. Other things have practically got, got in the way, so it really comes down to you know parliamentary um, process and and uh, you know 
nothing major getting in its way again. Um, what I would also add, though, is that the UK, we've been involved in this process for some time. And one of the things that, that for me personally was quite an eye opener is for some things that this product legislation is looking to do. If you look at the three main requirements, they all look very simple things to do. Um, but once you start getting into asking, you know, how you police it, how you enforce it, you have to be very precise in the language and you have to be very precise in understanding how companies may sidestep or look for loopholes. So it, it's quite a, just so, for example, um, the three main requirements that are going through in that uh, regulation is to have a form of reporting, which I've mentioned earlier about vulnerability disclosure. Um, there needs to be uh, an indication for consumers as to how long the, the product software will be supported for. That's important in terms of maintenance. Um, and the third aspect, which, um, forgive me, it's New Year. Uh, so we've got the software. Oh, the um, that's it, universal default passwords. Uh, so you cannot have universal default passwords on, on products too, which will do um, a you know, significant um, improvement uh, to, to kind of fend off um, things like uh, malware, uh, because it turns out that not many people change universal default passwords. It will certainly help. It will certainly help. But I, I suppose the part of the problem with that, though, is the legislation will only affect devices that are being manufactured and shipped from a point onwards. There are already a lot of devices in the supply chain and deployed, which are not going to be affected by any of this. So that leads us on to the wider question then of how do we address these problems and who needs to be responsible for them? So yes, we can ask the manufacturers or tell the manufacturers to improve security on new products. It doesn't do anything for the installed base. Um, and how also does that fit into the national security strategy that came out last year? Because clearly the Internet of Things is you know, quite a large part of critical national infrastructure. So again, moving away from the consumer side, um, is that something that you feel has received sufficient attention through the strategy? I think so. Um, one of the things, I mean, I'm British, and one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we have this organisation, which is in very much in, in public view, called the National Cyber Security Centre. And that, of course, spun out of um, GCHQ, C, it used to be known as CESG. Can't remember what that stands for. In fact, I think the uh, people I speak to well, which they could forget what, what those initial letters stood for. But the National Cyber Security Centre was a significant shift to say, we need to bring this into the public consciousness and we need to bring it out of the shadows. Cybersecurity, because we, we are now very firmly transitioning into a digital world, this needs to be addressed fundamentally and citizens need to be aware of this, not just not just citizens, obviously governments and businesses and everybody. Uh, so um, I, I applaud that that move, and I think others have taken note. And, and just going back to the regulation that we were talking about there, um, the the amount of effort that took to get that towards a regulation, I think will ultimately be rewarded because lots of other regions around the world are seeing the leadership the UK has put into this, and, and they will follow suit. They're doing very similar things. Uh, there's no point reinventing the wheel. What you tend to find is they may make minor adjustments to uh, what the UK is doing, but largely there's a lot of consensus that it's the right thing to do. Um, and, and I must stress that that, that product um, 
regulation is very much what we would consider a baseline. Um, but if you, um, and it will need to be attended to and maintained going forward. So I think the part of the question I didn't answer, um, Stephen, was that um, when will this come into, into force? Well, from what I understand, there's a timeline when the bill, uh, when the regulation becomes live, uh, and then there's a, a period of time for um, businesses um, to transition over. But what's been happening in the meantime is that there are no surprises here. Um, this has very much been part of a, an industry discussion for, for several years. So there's no surprises. Industry knows it's coming. And a big part of, again, the organisation I represent, uh, a big part of what we've been doing is, is helping them be prepared for it. So by the time it gets here, it, it should just be business as usual. So we've talked about what industry should be doing or or could do. We've talked about what government is doing, and we've talked a bit about how this impacts on consumers. But the the final uh, leg of the stool, as it were, is the uh, impact on organisations that use Internet of Things technology, and particularly what the security team needs to know and what the security team needs to do now to improve that. So uh, from your perspective, do you think that IT teams and IT security teams are really um, aware of what the Internet of Things could potentially do in security terms or the risks it poses and indeed how they need to act, going back to your point, uh, with the assumption that they will at some point be hacked? Well, I, again, I'll go back to the point I made at the beginning. The um, There's variability across sectors and across uh, and within sectors as to an understanding of what this all means. And I think the first thing I would say is you make a point is do IT teams understand this? And uh, Actually, it's bigger than IT teams. Um, it really is. Uh, it, each organization has to consider it as part of their risk profile. In fact, this is, again, shifts that we are witnessing, you know, in, in the past year, in the past few years, uh, that businesses are waking up to the fact that the security is all part of their risk profile. So um, not just the, the technology that they bring in, and they use the risk that may represent to their business, but also their ability to do business. So if that business, because it's got weak security or hasn't got a you know, comprehensive view on how it manages its cybersecurity, that could pose a threat to its partners. And so we saw last year um, quite an emphasis on supply chain attacks and from an attacker's point of view, getting early in the supply chain um, delivers quite a large payload because obviously uh, it multiplies up the further along the supply chain you go. So I, I think more than IT tips, in fact, you know, IoT is not strictly the same as IT. They are various things differ uh, between IT and, and IoT. Um, IoT is more uh, akin to what we would call operational technology or OT. Uh, because it tends to manifest or can manifest in more than just digital circumstances. It, it can be physical. Uh, so, for example, you know, we talked about, or, or kinetic uh, is the term that's used, uh, a kinetic attack. So, for example, you know, cars are large moving objects, which are considered part of the realm of IoT. Um, you know, it's not just digital assets that get affected. So companies are waking up to the fact that cybersecurity is not just in the realm of IT, it's in terms of their whole business. And indeed, we've even been witnessing language about how firms may even be 
um, given or, or the opportunity to look at the, the, the benefits of awarding a, a cybersecurity rating alongside companies to say, you know, will they be a good partner or, or are they a threat to your business? We are seeing good progress and we need to accelerate that. We can make significant gains by doing some just very simple things. And we illustrated them earlier about, you know, in the regulation, if you're, for example, um, government uh, is looking to introduce regulation. We also think there's a lot of benefit in government as a, as a customer. So they should be specifying security requirements. And again, for any of your listeners who are purchasing connected technology, let's call it IoT, very much so make sure you specify security in your purchasing and maintenance contracts. Because when I talked about the, the consumer, the state of consumer, and one of the reasons we think it, the um, very few uh, manufacturers have a, a vulnerability disclosure program is because nobody's asking for it. And they're not asking for it because they don't know they need to ask for it. John Moore from the IT Security Forum on why he is positive about how his industry can improve security in the coming year as long as everyone does the basics well. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. In our next programme, we'll ask whether ageism is a growing problem in the IT and cybersecurity industries. That episode will be live in two weeks' time, and I do hope you can join us then. Meanwhile, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and, of course, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.